number or number turn to psalm 92 this evening psalm 92 you may be seated well actually we're i guess we'll read first i always forget that part psalm 92 we'll read psalm 92 and then we will uh open in a word of prayer psalm 92 verse 1 it is a good thing to give thanks unto the lord and to sing praises unto thy name o most high to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of an unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you for this psalm, a psalm for the Sabbath day, as the subtitle tells us, Lord. And there are things in here, Lord, we know that can teach us how to have proper worship to you and I pray that you would help us to grab a hold of those things tonight and to be encouraged and rebuked and guided and drawn closer to our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray amen you may be seated uh, Psalm 92 as the subtitle says a psalm or song for the Sabbath day and so as we examine this psalm it's fitting that we would find some things in here that would guide you and me to proper worship and that is really the challenge for us tonight uh, is to look at this psalm and to be encouraged with three different thoughts, three thoughts that all point us in this one direction, that is, uh, have biblical worship toward God. In verses 1 through 5, we see uh, that you and I need to be grateful to God. In verses 6 through 9, we see an encouragement not to be deceived by wicked people. And in verses 10 through 15, we see the encouragement to continue to walk by faith. And all three of these things blend together and mold together to guide me and to guide you toward a more proper way of worship. So let's consider, first of all, the command for you and me to be grateful to God. He says, it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High, to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning, and thy faithfulness every night. The psalmist is reminding you and me of the need for consistency in thanksgiving, consistency in gratitude. It's so human, it's so natural for our flesh to be thankful when things are well, but to not be thankful when things are not well, right? It's so like my flesh to not say thank you to God for something when I'm having a bad day or a bad week or got bad news or finances aren't what they should be or my health isn't what it should be. 
or there's worries without or there's strife within. It's so easy to forget the command to be grateful. But you know what? We are to be grateful in everything. Think about Daniel. We'll refer to Daniel a few times in, as we look at this, this psalm. But consider Daniel in the worst of circumstances in the middle of heathen Babylon, taken captive, made a servant of the king, made a eunuch, uh, a person who would live to be into his 80s, who would see multiple heathen kings reign, who would never see his homeland again. And yet it tells us in Daniel chapter 6 that what did Daniel do? Three times a day. Went into his chamber with his windows open toward Jerusalem to remind himself that, hey, God's still on the throne. It says that he prayed three times a day and what ended what? Gave thanks unto his God, right? And it is so easy for me to forget that. But you know what? When we remember to be thankful consistently, it's, in, it's encouraging to the spirit, isn't it? I have often found that when I'm having a bad day and I'm grumpy or I just, you know, I'm depressed, that it really lifts my spirit to say no to my flesh and to say yes in the spirit to gratitude. That is a spiritual lift for me, and I'm sure it is for you too as well. But you know what? You have to say to your, your flesh, nope, nope, we're not going to be discouraged. We're not going to be unthankful. We're not going to be bitter. And you have to make that choice by the power of God to be consistent in thanksgiving. But when you make that choice, the Lord's right there to help you and what encouragement it brings to your soul. And so the psalmist reminds us of the consistency, the frequency of gratitude. Notice the expression of gratitude in verse 3. He says, Upon an instrument of ten strings, and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. The psalmist is not ashamed to let everyone know that he is thankful. Uh, probably in context, he's referring to the reality that these psalms would be sung in the temple, they would be sung in the morning. They would be sung uh, in the evening watch as well. That was a temple, uh, temple ritual and something that they did in that day. And so these were things that were always occurring, but uh, the, these psalms were being sung aloud, and they were not ashamed to let people know we are thankful to God, and I shouldn't be ashamed either. You know, it's good to say to your spouse, you know, praise the Lord for this or that. It's good that your kids hear you routinely give thanks to the Lord. And to point gratitude toward him for just the little things even. It doesn't have to be big stuff. You know, I try to make a point when I'm at work if something good happens to... And I know my coworkers aren't believers and I don't say it for that reason. I say it more of a testimony for, to them. I try to remember to say, well, praise the Lord for that. <laughs> That'll get you some funny looks around here. Yeah, you know, it doesn't really get you funny looks down south. But it gets you some funny looks around here you say, praise the Lord. Uh, but to say, you know, well, thank God for that, you know, and not in a cliche way. You have to be careful how you use the Lord's name, but in a genuine way. Yeah, it makes them just uncomfortable. That's good. That will encourage them to think about things, right? But it's good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to have that outward expression. Uh, it's good to say thank you in your heart as well. Sure, that's important. But it's also important to let people around you know uh, that there is a reason to be thankful. If for no other reason than the edification of others and the public glorification of God, right? Notice the reason for the gratitude in verse 4. He says, For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. I believe David wrote this psalm, so we could apply this two different ways. Uh, you could apply this to the reality that David did eventually triumph through the work of God's hands. God took care of Saul, right? 
Like David said, God forbid mine hand should be against the Lord's anointed. Peradventure, he will go down into battle or he will go against some enemy and he will perish. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord did allow David to triumph, not through his own works, but through the works of the hands of God. And David was exalted. But I want us to take it a step above that and think about the ultimate triumph for you and me in the work of God. And what is that? The finished work of Jesus Christ, right? And ultimately, we, through the work of God's hands, through the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can truly and in context say, uh, I will be glad through thy work. It's not by works of righteousness, which I have done. It's not anything I can do, but because Jesus Christ is the ultimate finished work, I have the ultimate triumph. And because of that reality, I can triumph and be joyful in the works of God on a day-to-day basis as the Lord empowers me with his spirit and enables me to live out the practical reality of what Jesus did for me in finishing the work and cutting it short in righteousness, Romans 9.28. Notice, uh, second, don't be deceived by wicked people. Oh, it's so easy for you and me to get wrapped up by all the things we see in here, isn't it? Facebook is just waiting to suck you in and suck all the life out of you. Social media is just waiting to, to drain you, literally, of your faith and your, your foresight and your biblical knowledge and your joy and your encouragement. And media is just, just dying to pull that out of you. And everything in our society, everything on the news, everything on social media is just grasping for the chance to pull you down and destroy your joy and your faith. But the psalmist reminds us of something quite different here. And he says, don't be deceived by wicked people is the implication. He says in verse 6, verse 5, O Lord, how great are thy works and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not... Neither doth a fool understand this. Ah, there's a warning. So what we're about to read, he says, now hang on. Before you read further, understand that a fool and a base individual, a brutish man, someone who doesn't have uh, understanding beyond that of an animal, they don't understand what I'm about to say. You see, so when I get discouraged and I get focused on the world and I allow all the things that the world has to offer especially in troubled days like these, when I allow those things to suck out my Christian joy and suck out my faith, in reality, I have the understanding of a fool. And I'm no better than a brute. I'm reminded of Psalm 73 when Asaph says, you know, I got my eyes, I'm paraphrasing, I got my eyes on the wicked. I allowed myself to be focused on the unjust. And, and I was discouraged and I, I wanted to say something, but I didn't want to offend against the generation of thy children. He says, I was as a beast before thee. He was ashamed at how he thought and how he felt. See, he got his eyes on the wicked people around him. He got his eyes on the fact that wicked people do triumph temporarily oftentimes. He got his eyes on the fact that uh, there was discouragement all around him and he allowed himself to stop being focused on the ultimate victory of God. And he says, Lord, I'm ashamed. I was as a beast before thee. Yeah, it happens to all of us. It happens to all of us. We all struggle with it. So there's a warning here. But let's read on. He says, when the wicked spring is the grass and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that they shall be destroyed forever. And there's the end. 
And you know, and it isn't just people that we would, in our humanist, human way of thinking, it isn't just people that we would label exceptionally wicked. You know, and there are people that are more wicked than others. And I understand that. But really, this is anyone who is outside of Christ, right? He that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain. He doesn't have to do anything to get there. He's already there. Shall remain in the congregation of the dead. Right? And so this is anyone who's outside of Christ. So the, the temporal prosperity that you see all around you and the temporal prosperity of the politicians and the temporal prosperity of the wicked people, the Christ-haters that you see on social media and on, and on media of all kinds, understand it's just that. It's very temporal. And the end is that they shall be destroyed forever. Now the thing for you and me to do is not to sit back and say, well, I can't wait for those rotten sinners to go to hell. But to be grateful that we have Christ and to share him. And people will do with him as they will. But understand that we have something eternal and they have something very, very, very temporal. I'm reading through a book on the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And it's not your typical dry, dull history. I've read through some, through some very dull... I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm kind of a, a middle, um, an ancient civilization's history nut for some reason. It kind of helps me understand the context of Scripture a little better. And I've read through some of those ancient history of the ancient Chaldean Empire. Oh, those are rough. But this one is not that way. This is pretty good. But as I've read through there, and you, know, you read about the Caesars, and you read about the emperors, and you read about the Roman Senate, and you read about the people prior to the, the revolution of Julius Caesar, it's amazing... How incredibly, every one of those, nearly every one of those guys fell in a night. There was nothing left. You know, Nero, on top of the world, as the world would consider it, reduced to committing suicide uh, in, a, in, a, in a village, uh, in, a, in a house uh, outside of the city in a village uh, by himself with a few other guys, yeah, with people chasing him in a night. It's like that. Uh, the Bible is so accurate when it says riches make themselves wings and fly away as an eagle toward heaven. <laughs> is it not true? And so uh, the, the victory of the wicked is so temporal. Verse 8, but thou, Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But the Lord shall reign forever and ever. And so they have something temporal, but we have something eternal. And it is, I understand the temptation in the flesh to just to focus on the here and now. It is very tempting. And we as sinful creatures cannot, in and of ourselves, see the eternal. We must walk by faith and not by sight and allow Christ to reveal that reality to us through his word. But it's real, my friends. And Christ is coming. He's going to conquer. And he's going to reign forevermore. So don't be discouraged. Don't be deceived by wicked people. And I'll tell you right now, the more you feast on social media and the less you feast on the scriptures, the harder this command will be to obey. You say, well, I just can't feast on social media and obey this command. Well, guess what? Get off it. <laughs> there you go. Because it's better to be fed by the scriptures. I can't do social media. I can't do the news. Okay, now, That's just me. Maybe you can and have a good attitude. Good for you. I cannot. And so I just exclude it, and I hear what I need to hear from people around me, and that's how I keep up on stuff. So my point is, whatever you need to do to be close to the Lord within a biblical context, then that's what you need to do. 
Don't let something else rob you of your Christian joy. And lastly, we see in this uh, psalm of worship, a psalm that guides you and me to proper worship, we see the encouragement to continue walking by faith. Look at faith's victory. Verse 10. But my horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Now, this unicorn is not your fantastical creature like we would see today, you know, the pretty, pretty pink princess unicorn. That's not the idea. Okay. Uh, this was more of probably, though no one is 110% sure, this was probably an extinct animal that was very much like a domesticated rhinoceros. You can think of it like that. And the term that my horn shalt thou exalt, remember we looked at a couple of sermons ago or a couple of Sunday school lessons that a horn is the symbol of strength and power, right? What was at the corners of the altar? There were horns. They were the symbol of God's strength and power. And what did Joab go and grab a hold of when Solomon was after his, his throat for trying to take over the kingdom? He grabbed a hold of the horns on the altar. Right. So it was a place of refuge and a place of strength. Now, so that's the idea here. And the animal referred to is likely somewhat something that would have resembled a rhinoceros that was domesticated and often used for farm work. But a strong animal, a powerful animal. And so he says, you're going to exalt my horn like that beast of burden, that animal of strength. Uh, Lord, you're going to give me the victory. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. In context, the idea is probably similar to a king being anointed with the holy oil for his uh, kingship. And uh, that is probably the most accurate application of this. But re regardless, the idea for you and me is victory, blessing, a place of security, a place of power, a place of rest, all of which we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? And uh, I'm not saying this is the primary application, but you and I have been given the oil of the, of the Holy Spirit forever that can't be taken away. And so there's, there's definitely principles uh, that we can apply through this verse. But the idea is victory. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. And so here we have that continued idea of victory. And David did see these things come to pass in his life as God did away with his enemies slowly, not all at once. He had some lessons for David. He wandered in the wilderness for probably at least seven, eight years. And then how long did he reign in Hebron before he became king over all Israel? Six and a half years, right? Just call it seven. So God didn't give it to him all at once. And even when he became king over all of Israel, he still had to deal with Ishbosheth and his enemies for a while. God eventually subdued all those things. But uh, you and I will ultimately have that victory as we rule and reign with Christ our Savior when he returns. Look at faith's flourishing also. Verse 12. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. The great Lebanon cedars often spoken of in the scriptures uh, used extensively in the building of the temple. Costly, large, huge trees. Uh, they, they still exist today. You can look them up on the internet. Not as plenteous as they once were. Got cut down a lot over the years, but they're still there. And the idea is strength and, and vitality and growth, greenery, uh, something that blooms and blossoms, the idea of flourishing. I love springtime, early summer around here when the lilac bushes, my wife's favorite 
bush are beginning to come into bloom and just the smell and the fragrance and that vitality and the greenery and the beautiful petals of the, of the lilac bush. And that's what I think of when I read this verse and how the Christian life is one that flourishes and blooms in Christ, especially practically speaking as we allow his spirit to fill us and put that old flesh to death and change us every day into the image of his son. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Folks, this is only done by faith. Remember, we're looking at the idea of continuing to walk by faith. And so David says, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. The um, proper worship is associated with uh, faith. Continuing to walk by faith is part of proper worship. You can't have proper worship without it. And as we continue to walk in faith and allow God to grow us and change us uh, in his courts, we will be encouraged and will be guided toward the idea of proper worship. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. I know some people would like to take this out of the context. The idea is not being chunky and letting your body go down the tubes. All right? We don't do that. That's not Christ-like. Right? Right. Shake your head yes. We're not good. I'm not a good Baptist. Okay? I'm not one of the, amen, let's go have chicken and be fat. No. <laughs> that is sinful. Okay, I'm just going to say it right now. That's sinful. Uh, there's nothing spiritual about being fat. Okay? If you're obese because you're undisciplined and not sober and not temperate, then you're not right with God. Fix yourself. Okay. <laughs> I know most people in here are, are concerned about health, so that's a blessing. Uh, but the idea is being, um, the idea is just being uh, healthy in Christ. Think about Daniel. Here he is, 80 some odd years old, right? Thrown into the lion's den at 80 years old. Comes out of there. Uh, he, he lasted all the way through Nebuchadnezzar, all the way through Nebuchadnezzar's son, who's not even uh, mentioned in the scriptures. Um, see, I remember Evil Merodach, uh, Amel Marduk in secular history. Then you get to Nerglisser, then you get to Nerglisser's son, Labishi Marduk, and then we end up finally with Nabopolassar, or excuse me, um, Nabonidus, and we end up with his son, Belshazzar, Daniel chapter 5. And he lasted through all those kings, right? He lasted through Darius the Mede, who had co-reigned under Cyrus the Persian, and probably died sometime during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. But all that time, there he was in Babylon, fat and flourishing, just walking with the Lord. I love Daniel. He's such, you know, when I get discouraged and I think, you know what, I've had enough or I can't do this or I don't know where things are going and I just get all spun up and angry and mad and I've listened to people talk about the news too much, it always helps me to go back and think about Daniel. And then I'm like, you know what, I, I really don't have it very bad. You know, here's poor Daniel. Had to learn the Chaldean language. You know, they were trying to rob him of all his identity, right? You understand that. That's why they changed his name, right, to a guest of a king. That's why they changed his name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to, uh, what was it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you. Uh, I don't remember what all those names mean. I do know Abednego means servant of Nebo, who was a uh, pagan god of Babylon. So everything that you read about in Daniel, all the name changes, and you're going to learn the Chaldean language, and you're going to learn the philosophy, all of that was driving them to forget everything about their Jehovah God. But they didn't. So here's Daniel just trucking right along, you know. Comes up against a bad situation where they try to make him eat 
uh, meat, which there's an implication behind that. It was quite likely associated with idol worship. That's probably one main reason Daniel said, look, I'd rather just eat beans and lentils and such, such things, i.e. pulse. Uh, but, you know, he just he quietly goes to the chief of the eunuchs and says, hey, didn't make a big deal of it. He doesn't be like, I'm going to do that. You ain't going to do this to me, and I'm going to stand for God. You know, he just walks up and says, hey, you know, I'm requesting. Here it says, the Bible says he requested respectfully to the prince of the eunuchs. And you know, it's a funny thing. When you have a right attitude, God did what with Daniel? Oh, he gave him favor in the sight of the prince of the eunuchs. That's right. You see, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with um, so here's Daniel just quietly requesting. His request is granted. You don't see a lot of mouth with Daniel. You just see a lot of action. Ten days later, he appears fairer, fatter in flesh. He continued to walk by faith. He had the idea of proper worship. And then what happens? The end of three years, he says, all right, I'll learn your language. I'll learn your philosophy. I'll learn all your stupid little Babylonian tales and all your cute little Chaldean things and all your fake little religious ideas. He learns all that nonsense, recites it perfectly to the king. But not through all of that, never once forgot the law of his God, never once stopped worshiping God. At the end of his life, there he is, uh, still worshiping God and receives one of the greatest prophecies ever written in Daniel chapter 9. Sees what I believe was a Christophany along the Tigris River, uh, one that was had eyes of fire, right, and who was uh, uh, girded with gold from uh, Ophir, and uh, he had a garment on that was white and his feet were as brass and everybody around Daniel took off for the bushes and Daniel fell down as dead. You know, that's, that's what a life of just focusing on God will get you. And Daniel just continued to walk by faith. He was a true example of being fat and flourishing in a biblical sense. So why is, um, what is the purpose of our faith being fat and flourishing? Well, it's to give God glory. Verse 15, to show that the Lord is upright. That's ultimately the reason for it. So as you and I continue to walk by faith, and as we continue to experience faith's victory, and as we allow the Lord to uh, flourish our faith and and allow us to uh, have victory over things, you know the result of that, the reason for all that should be that God receives glory. That the world can say, you know, there's something different about you than there is about me. That's the whole purpose. And the psalmist ends the, uh, the psalm concerning proper worship by saying, He is my rock. My boulder, my refuge, my strength. Oftentimes, the Lord is called the rock numerous times in the scriptures. Deuteronomy 32 is called the rock twice. Their rock is not like our rock. Uh, Deuteronomy 32, as Moses writes that, their rock, meaning the rock of the heathen, is not like our rock, the rock of, of Israel. So God is often referred to as the rock, that place of defense and strength. And there is no unrighteousness in him and in my Lord Jesus Christ there is no unrighteousness. First John three five, and he, meaning Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And so that, my friends, is faith's object. That's how we can continue to walk by faith, so that we can experience proper worship in our lives. We keep our eyes focused on that main object of God who is unchangeable, immutable, sinless, and can do all things, and who has already won the victory, right? We already know how the story ends. So how do I have proper worship? Well, Psalm 92 might be a good place to come and meditate. Be grateful to God. Don't be deceived by wicked people. And continue to walk by faith. And we'll be on the road to having proper worship. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the encouragement of this psalm. We thank you for the reminders that are here. 
Lord, we're so prone to get distracted and so prone to be focused on things that just don't matter. So prone to get all spun up and angry and uh, bent out of shape with everyone else in the world. But Lord, there's no need for any of that because we have the Spirit of God, we have the peace of God, we have the wisdom of God. All we have to do is let it control us. Your Spirit lives within us if we're saved. We thank you for that reality. We thank you for those who may be watching this evening. Pray you would encourage them uh, through the reading and preaching of your word. Pray that you would feed each soul as they have need of this evening, we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.